0: Hello and welcome to episode 144 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast, I'm Adam. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. And a huge thank you to everyone on our Facebook group, which has now passed an amazing 3 million, sorry, 3,000 members. Come and join us today on Facebook and talk about all things UK true crime. Today's story from Berkshire is like so many others we look on this podcast it's focused on one chance encounter, on just another normal day, when a split second decision, seemingly innocuous, changed so many lives forever. But first I'm delighted that this week's show is again sponsored by Heist, the underwear brand on a mission to take away the frustration that every woman has with their underwear. And I'm really pleased to endorse Heist as my wife raves about their products As will you when you will see how they've already revolutionised tights and shapewear and there is more to come in 2020. And why their products are so good is no surprise when you learn that they have an in-house team of material scientists and garment innovators known as Lab 12 creating their products. Swimming fans will have heard of Fiona Fairhurst and Fiona, the inventor of the revolutionary multi-gold winning fast-skin swimsuit Heads Up Lab 12, and her team have applied technology never used before to create shapewear that moves with the body rather than against it. Don't just take my word for it. Go and explore Heist for yourself now with a special 15% discount on products for listeners to this podcast. Just head to heist, that's heist-studios.com thats and use the promotion code HEIST15, all capitals, at checkout. That is heist-studios.com and use the special code HEIST15, all capitals, at checkout. Thank you. How does the offer of free beer sound to you? Yeah, me too. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash crime and pay just £4.95 for the postage. And as an added bonus for listeners to this show, if you sign up within the next two weeks, you'll get an extra 2 free beers. So that's a total of 10 free beers. What isn't there to like? It's no surprise that Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer club. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet earth has to offer. There's an abundance of beer you've never imagined. No bland lager here. And they are on a mission to find it and deliver it to their members each and every month. Each month Beer52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have ranged from Germany to Korea, Norway to South Africa and California to Finland, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. Your first box will be sent to you the next day and will contain beer from all over Europe. Just pause the show quickly and head to beer 52com forward slash crime to get your first case of eight beers for free and don't forget sign up in the next two weeks and get an extra two unmissable beers for free. That's beer52.com forward slash crime. Enjoy. And a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That is Heather Kidd, Laura Bassett and Tom Putnam. Thank you so much for your support, I am so grateful. Let's quickly set some context by taking a look at the music we were listening to when the events we discussed today took place. That's the 19th of December 1995. Well, I'm a little lost for words really. Top spot was Michael Jackson with The Earth Song and Boys were were at number two with Father and Son. Not a vintage month. In the US, the top selling single of 1995 was Coolio with Gangster's Paradise. And the best-selling album in Australia this year was Don't Ask by Tina Arena, which kept Celine Dion from the top spot with The Colour of My Love. In the news this month, Test cricket lovers will recall Mike Atherton's epic 185 not out as he batted for 643 minutes to save the Johannesburg Test. Christopher Reeve was released from a physical rehab centre after his fall from his horse in a riding competition and in UK True Crime News, headteacher Philip Lawrence was murdered outside St George's Catholic School in London. Celine Figard was born on the 23rd of May 1976 and grew up on the family farm in France, southeast of Paris and close to the Swiss border, with her mum and dad Bernard and Martine, brothers Stefan and Nicholas, and sister Karine. It was a happy, healthy childhood, and Celine was a bright, popular girl. Age 14, Celine went on a school trip to England and adored her time there where she totally fell in love with the country returning whenever she could and in 1995, now studying accountancy student Celine spent the whole of the summer at a hotel in Fordingbridge, Hampshire where her cousin John Marsh was the head waiter and by December that year she was back to spend a further two weeks with her cousin and at Christmas she returned again On Monday the 18th of December, her parents arranged for her to travel with a family friend who worked for a local transport company, and the next day the two crossed the channel arriving in Ashford, Kent. Céline planned to get the train to Fordingbridge, but the journey is a bit convoluted, and the family friend she was travelling with found another French lorry driver, Roger Bouvier, who agreed to take her to Cheveley Services on the M4 near Newbury in Berkshire. And from there, she planned to call her cousin to pick her up. On arrival at the service station, the middle aged driver of a white Mercedes van heading to Southampton offered to take Celine as far as Salisbury as he was heading that way on his journey to the south coast port of Southampton. Roger Bouvier felt a bit uneasy with this arrangement as he felt a responsibility for Celine. But Celine was just keen to get on with her journey and happy with the arrangement. So shortly after 4.35pm, as the light was fading on that chilly December evening, the lorry pulled out onto the M4 with Celine inside. But Celine didn't make it to Fordingbridge, and as the evening went by with no news, her frantic parents soon reported her as a missing person. This behaviour was totally out of character for their 19-year-old daughter, who was thoughtful and caring, and would always let her parents know if she was running late or if her plans had changed. Police appealed for information about the disappearance and issued a photo fit of the lorry driver they increasingly believed had abducted Selene. Although they still maintained some faint hope that they were looking for a missing person and not just a body, with every hour that hope was starting to fade. The hell being lived by her family and friends got worse as time slipped by and her dad travelled to the UK to help detectives in their search to appeal to the public for information as to her whereabouts. But there was still no news about Celine. and all over Christmas every phone call or knock on the family's door was greeted with a mixture of hope and dread. And it was ten days later that locals in the small Worcestershire hamlet of Hawford, between Worcester and Kidderminster, heard the sound of a helicopter overhead. Locals braved the cold to come out of their homes on this bitter winter's day, wondering what it could be, and they were soon aware that it was due to the discovery of the naked body of Celine, who had been found dumped at a lay-by by by a motorist, who had stopped to change a windscreen wiper and seen the body just a few yards from the road. He'd immediately dialed 999, Selene's cousin, with whom she should just have enjoyed Christmas, had the terrible job of travelling to positively identify his dear cousin's identity. The post-mortem examination showed that Celine had been strangled and bludgeoned with a heavy implement, but did not establish which was fatal, although detectives suspected the strangling. The autopsy revealed no obvious signs of sexual assault, but it was determined that sexual intercourse had taken place shortly before her death, which detectives believe would not have been consensual sex, but rape. There were also other signs of violence, including that someone had kicked or stamped upon her face. The body had not been by the lay-by for long before it was found, probably for no more than 24 hours, and police feared that Selene may have been held captive against her will for that period, a torment that her family could not even bear to think about. Detectives immediately began to work on the assumption that Celine was murdered for a sexual motive and the perpetrator had been the lorry driver who had picked her up from Cheever Services over 100 miles from where the body was found. Now, they just had to trace the driver. The murder investigation was led by Detective John McCammont of West Merseyer Police, an old-school Scottish detective with a long successful history in the Met Police and it involved more than 100 detectives from three police forces. It became one of the largest inquiries ever embarked upon by West Mercia Police, with more than 22,500 questionnaires sent to hauliers across the UK in an attempt to trace the 4,000 or so lorries, similar to the one seen leaving Chivley services with Celine. Immediately, there were links made with other unsolved murders along the Midlands Motorway Network, which led the tabloids to make claims about a so called Midlands Ripper. This was looked at, and in particular, detectives liaised very closely with colleagues looking into the recent murders of Samo Paul and Tracy Turney, who had both been strangled and their bodies dumped close to motorways. But at a press conference on the 4th of January, Detective McCammon said, I would stress that at this stage there is no firm evidence whatsoever to link Celine's murder with any other investigations. He used this same conference to ask for information about the Mercedes truck driver who had picked up Celine at the service station, going again over the photo fit description. The driver was described as aged between 30 and 35, with short fair hair, a crop beard and no moustache. The detective also spoke about two bottles of Pascal Cretien Champagne, a gift given to Celine before her trip to the UK, but which were not with her when her body was discovered, saying This particular type of champagne is not exported to anywhere in the world outside France and is not sold in this country. It's a 1993 vintage, and only 60,000 bottles have been produced. But unfortunately the widespread publicity did not produce the instant leads that detectives had hoped for. But with the clamour for a positive result growing, on the 12th of January, investigators announced that they would perform DNA testing on the drivers of all vehicles similar to the Mercedes, which was over 1,000 vehicles and 5,000 drivers. Although this technique had previously been used in local investigations, this was the first time the method was used nationally, to identify a murder suspect. The vital information that detectives were looking for eventually came from two sources. The true crime enthusiasts, much lamented favourite programme Crimewatch and the driving community. Following the Crime Watch appeal, in the days when we all watched it monthly, before the schedules messed around with it and the presenters began standing randomly around the studio, the incident room received almost 600 callers and crucially, two drivers gave the same name about the photo fit issued of her suspected abductor who resembled a driver who operated out of Southampton and lived in the area. That driver turned out to be 36-year-old Stuart Morgan who'd been working as an owner-driver from the Southampton depot of Hawley Dual Carriage and was living just down the coast from there in Paul Dorset and Stuart Morgan, who had declined to provide a voluntary DNA test, was arrested on the 17th of February, 1996. Morgan told detectives he'd never met Celine, and continued to deny having picked her up, until the driver who was parked next to him when he'd given her a lift, picked him out in an identity parade. His story then changed. Morgan, a father of three, a former electrician and now lorry driver, confessed that he had a number of mistresses and had enjoyed numerous sexual encounters in his cab, but he said that with Selene they'd chatted, flirted and then had consensual sex in a lay-by. He dropped her off near Southampton Docks where they swapped names and addresses and kissed goodbye. Detectives weren't convinced by this story, not convinced one bit, but they had to set about proving it. And firstly, they began looking into exactly who was Stuart Morgan, this English lorry driver and former heating engineer from Paul. One of five children, he was raised in Tunbridge Wells in Kent, where his dad was employed as a council foreman, and his mum, a refugee from the former East Germany, worked as a school cleaner. Morgan didn't shine academically, and he left school with a rather poor showing, three CSEs, and not even entered for O-levels and he first came to the attention of police in 1974 when he served a custodial sentence in Borstal following a conviction for burglary. After attending Croydon Polytechnic to train as a plumber and heating engineer, he established a plumbing business in the Tunbridge Wells area, but it wasn't a success and after closing this down he relocated to Dorset in 1983 working as a heating engineer for Bournemouth Borough Council before taking up lorry driving in 1991. Morgan met his first wife in Kent in the early 1980s. They married in 1982, but he left her when she became pregnant with twins. He was never without a casual relationship, but was involved in another serious relationship soon after moving to Dorset. This lady too became pregnant, giving birth to a son, and they married in 1994 after living together for several years. But Morgan had a complex life and for a lot of that time he had a second home and life with another woman based in Lancashire, with neither knowing about the other. His life as a lorry driver, allowing this to happen. But even this wasn't enough for Morgan. His reputation as a womaniser was there from an early age, and he was well known for seducing customers whilst working as an engineer. He continued this activity after becoming a lorry driver, as he exploited every opportunity to pick up hitchhikers and other single women at service stations. Morgan was the sort of man who was always looking for the opportunity for casual sex. Detectives believe that soon after picking up Celine, he had bound her hands with adhesive tape and raped her on a bunk in the back of his lorry cab, before battering her over the head and then strangling her. Her body lay in the back of his truck for ten days all over the Christmas period. At the earliest possible opportunity after the Christmas break, when he went back to work, Morgan bought a spade, axe, and hacksaw, intending to chop up Celine and bury her. But instead, he changed his mind and drove a hundred or so miles to Worcestershire to dump her body behind a hedge. This meant that his truck containing Celine's body remained parked outside his house as he celebrated Christmas with his wife and 11-year-old son. His mum later said the following of that period. He seemed quite normal, not nervous or upset. We all saw the murder on the TV news and the photo fit. I thought it looked familiar and mentioned it to my daughter, who said it did look like Stuart. But we didn't phone the police, as we couldn't believe it was him. Morgan altered the tachograph, the device in his lorry which logs journeys, to try to show he had not been to Worcester, where Celine's body was dumped, but discrepancies were subsequently found in his travel records for the 29th of December 1995, because he forgot to replace the fuse. In this and other aspects of his behaviour following the murder, he wasn't thorough and he made countless mistakes as he tried to cover his tracks. Following the trip to dump Celine's body, he shaved off his beard, worried that he showed too close a resemblance to the police photo fit. Three spots of blood were found in his cab and on a mattress which were a perfect DNA fit for Celine, and some of her belongings, including photos in a toilet bag and the blood-soaked mattress from his cab bunk, were found hidden behind a wall in his garage. Morgan said the mattress stemmed from an episode in 1994 where the man with a gashed leg lay on it while the cab was on loan to another driver. But witnesses testified to seeing him clean the cab out at his home and seek quotations for a new mattress shortly after the murder. The evidence against Morgan was building and Celine's socks, bra and underwear were next found near a Telford depot he'd visited. And crucially, The two rare bottles of champagne not available in Britain, which Celine had brought to the UK, had been given by Morgan to staff at the Shell petrol station opposite his home as Christmas presents. It was one of the recipients, among many others, quoted in the press at the time, saying that Morgan wasn't capable of murder. Despite all the evidence against him, Morgan continued to insist that he'd had consensual sex with Celine after chatting and flirting, developing a rapport and halting at to lay-by where he made her a cup of tea and asked her for what he described as a Christmas kiss. He said afterwards that she was smiling and happy when he'd waved goodbye to her in Southampton. He claimed that he hadn't come forward after police appealed for details of the driver who'd given her a lift because he didn't want his wife to learn of his infidelity. He tried to explain that her photographs and other belongings were in his possession because she'd left them in his truck. But detectives didn't believe him, and nor did the jury at his trial, who found him guilty of murder after 11 days. Sentencing him to life in prison, Judge Mr Justice Latham said, What you did caused revulsion in the minds of all right-thinking people. You are a dangerous man. The verdict and life sentence was a relief for Celine's parents, Bernard and Martine, who had attended every awful minute of that trial. Afterwards, Bernard said, "Celine was very popular with lots of friends. She was full of confidence, but her fault was she was just too trusting. They thought Celine was taking the bus after being dropped off by the family friend going to England. He added, We would not have let her go if we'd known she was hitchhiking. Ten minutes, even five minutes either way would have changed everything. That truck wouldn't have been there, it was that close. Bernard was opposed to the death sentence, but hoped that a life sentence meant life in jail for Morgan, saying, This type of monster is not capable of being cured. Bernard could not understand how Morgan could have committed such an act and then pleaded not guilty. Throughout the case he looked so detached from reality, as if he was a total stranger who didn't really belong there. I just felt sickened by his behaviour, he said. When I first laid eyes on him in May, he just had a blank look on his face and he didn't seem to feel anything or show any remorse. He was just cold. It didn't seem to move him or affect him at all when he heard the graphic descriptions of Celine's ordeal. I wonder if he has any nightmares about what he did to my daughter. How does he feel when he remembers the desperate shouts of his powerless victim? How does he feel when he remembers his own hands covered with my beautiful daughter's blood? I never really thought that Morgan could walk away from this but my real fear throughout the case was that he may have pleaded insanity or diminished responsibility. That would have been all too easy for him. It is beyond my comprehension how a man who has committed such a horrible crime in a moment of madness could have been stupid enough not to get rid of the evidence. Far from that. This monstrous idiot kept my daughter's dead body in the back of his truck with him. What kind of imbecilic creature is he? And Bernard added that he still feels anger with the second truck driver, Roger Bouvier, who still lets Celine go with Morgan, despite having some reservations. Celine's body was flown home to France on the 17th of January 1996, where her funeral was held a few days later, with a ceremony attended by 3,000 mourners including family, friends and French politicians. Céline's murder remains a vivid memory today at St Andrew's Church, near where she was found in the layby next to the A449 at Hawford, now named Le Jardin de Céline, in the aftermath of the tragedy. Her parents come to the village each autumn to take part in a Sunday service and hear prayers offered in remembrance of their daughter. The church also houses a special memorial garden, paid for by donations from county people and dedicated to Selene and for all the young people who have been victims of violence. Verger Basil Lamb said that prayers and remembrances were made to the FIGARDS at least three times a year, as well as at Christmas, saying, You can see they still feel the loss, but they don't show it. They're very dignified. I think they've come to terms with it. He said that Céline's murder had touched people living in the village because she came from a similar community. She came from a village the same as us and it's obviously something that had never happened to us or her village, he added, saying that the memorial garden was also dedicated to Joanna Parrish and Caroline Dickinson, two teenagers who'd been murdered in France in separate incidents. Morgan continued to protest his innocence and without the knowledge of his defence lawyer, he attempted a DIY appeal that was unsuccessful. He began to write lots of letters from his prison cell, including to media outlets who refused to publish them. He also wrote to police officers involved with the case, and in 1997, when the man who had led the murder hunt, Detective John McCammon, resigned, he was asked for his opinion on Stuart Morgan. He replied, I never spoke to the guy, the actual contact was down to other officers. He writes to me though, quite often, always complaining about something. So what Jamaica what we've heard today? Although a particularly pitiful man, I do wonder why Morgan didn't make more of an effort to cover up his crime. Even Celyan's dad, as we heard, said it's beyond his comprehension how he could have been stupid enough. Travelling back from London to the southwest as I do every week, I often stop at Cheveley service station and just stand and think about what happened when Celine left here for the last time. There was no reason for Celine to have any suspicion about the lorry driver who would offer her a lift. And I picture her excited and full of anticipation for Christmas as the lorry pulled out onto the motorway. And at what point did this change? When did the happy conversation turn to dread? when she realised that she was sitting next to a monster. And I can't help shuddering to think about just how frightened she must have been as her ordeal continued. And yet at the same time, her family and friends, those who loved Celine, carried on with their daily business, unaware of what was happening and unable to offer help. And for Morgan, there's no history of violence as far as I can discover. Sex was his thing. So after he had raped her, Why not just let it go? Why take her life? And even now as he languishes in his prison cell, writing no doubt increasingly desperate letters of interest to no one, he still doesn't have it in him to admit his guilt. Is this just his way of coping with what he's done? Or maybe shielding his children from the monster that their dad is? As even if they don't see him any longer, they will know of him, what he has done and what he is and long after he has been forgotten, the memory of Celine and her happy, innocent smile will stay with us all. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please pop over to the Facebook group. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime for over 30 bonus full-length episodes all for the price of a dodgy lager. And a recent survey confirmed that supporting the show on Patreon makes you both a better person and increases your chances of winning the lottery even if you didn't enter. Who knew? So that is all from me for today. Please don't forget to go to heist-studios.com and use the code HEIST15, or capitals, at the checkout to claim your 15% bonus. And why not browse the site whilst drinking a beer you have bought at beer52.com forward slash crime. And me? Well, 18 foot waves down the road in view today, so maybe it's time to sport the leopard skin thong and hit the surf. On that bombshell, I'm off, so I'll catch you next week. Until then, take it easy, and of course, despite all the provocation from others, stay classy.